Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Alrighty, folks, I got a special treat for you today. I have a brand new guest to the channel, someone I've actually met a couple of times. He has an amazing story about going from zero to over 20 units in a relatively short time. I feel like he did it the right way. He did it by doing the work, laying the foundation. House hacking is a big part of it. Why don't we welcome Michael to the show and we will dig into the story and find all the twists and turns to get there. Michael, thank you for being here. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I think your story is one that needs to be told. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, what you do today, and then we'll go back to you know day one, if you will, uh, next. Definitely. So uh, good morning, everyone. Hi. Um, so my name is Michael Manatskanyan. I live in San Diego. I'm a, a veteran. I'm an engineer by trade, but I'm also a real estate investor. Um, my wife and I started with house hacking, and now we pretty much specialize in a variety of uh, forms of creative financing, primarily subject to and seller financing. Um, we have over 40 rentals, um, some with partners, some that are local, some that are out of state. And uh, But it all started with doing the work and house hacking. So I'd love to dive into it. Yeah, let's go back to the beginning because I think that's what trips up a lot of people sometimes is, is we put out stories about 20 plus or 40 of this and maybe they watch because they're like entertained by the number. But I, as you know, I like, I like getting people started, right? I, I I always tell people four units can change your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe your story doesn't start in San Diego. It starts in a much colder place, the state of Alaska. Do I remember that right? Yes, sir. That's that's correct. I actually tried to learn about real estate investing the first time I lived in San Diego. Even condos didn't make sense for, I was looking for cash flow. I couldn't find cash yeah. flow no matter what I did. Even if I split yeah. it up with three roommates, it wasn't going to work, but- um, I'm happy to go into it a little bit. Um, yeah. I always joke to people because they they look at my age and just how quickly everything was done and they think it just kind of happens overnight. And I do joke, yeah, it does happen overnight. It's uh, doing the work overnight for five straight years is it's now become an overnight success, right? So, <laughs> well, let's talk uh, about because again, I I say it all the time. You know, you know, people want what we have now, but I'm like, you haven't paid the price for 20 plus years. You know, of daily doing the work. So let's talk about your five-year journey because I, it, what I remember from our conversations is it just starts with doing the work, right? You were underwriting deals. You were learning things. You know, the first one, let's go back to the decision that you and your wife had, and then you start doing the work in Alaska. I mean, because again, what were you, were you renting? Were you living on base? What, what were you guys doing? I'm going to take it right back to the the start the origin story so in cool. 2018 I, well, I graduated from uc san diego a chemical engineer in 2017 i was on okay. the path to you know gain financial independence through you know long-term investing in the stock market all was good it was gonna take me 20 plus years cool that was the plan um, but at the same time i started learning about real estate investing and i actually gave up one of my engineering internships to work for a large apartment complex as a leasing consultant so i oh. can yeah, so I was very interested in learning about real estate at the time. And I figured who better to learn from than people that are actively doing stuff. I didn't realize that role wasn't really going to teach me a lot about real estate investing, but it did teach me about tenant screening and 
And mm -hmm. the light bulb moment was when a the owners came in one time and I just I was probably pestering them with questions, but I just wanted to know how they got to to where wow. they were. And their model is basically just burring large multifamily properties. Basically, they buy it cash, renovate it, refinance it, and then uh, they just move on to the next one and pull their money out and keep doing that. And I thought mm -hmm. that is incredible. And that just started the spark. I didn't think I was going to buy a hundred plus unit multifamily in San Diego anytime soon, but that was the spark to get um, basically dove head first into everything, bigger pockets, podcasts, um, played around with our calculator as much as possible, um, read all the blogs that I could, just learning as much as I could. And so in 2018 is when I joined the military, actually. Um, and at the time, I was still living in San Diego temporarily, and I was trying to learn as much as I could about real estate investing, trying to underwrite deals here. And nothing made sense because all we're talking about is cash flow and cash and cash return. Well, neither of those were in my favor. And at that point, um, I just wasn't very knowledgeable. Like, I didn't do the work. I'm thankful I couldn't afford to buy a property. Yeah. At that time in San Diego, I just yeah, bought a, yeah. a condo that I didn't need to own. Um, right. And then traveling around with the military, I was in Oklahoma, San Antonio, and then I was stationed at uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, so Fort Wainwright. And at that time, so it was early 2019, and my first ever, I decided to post on Bigger Pockets um, and say, hey, any local investors here, any meetups, I would love to meet people who are actually really doing the work, not just doing the yeah. work on the computer screen, but buying properties. And they know what's a good barometer. If if I'm underwriting all these deals, it makes a lot of sense to, to vet it through uh, proven real estate professionals. So that's what I was doing, just underwriting everything I could. I knew that because I was putting so much of my money into the stock market and I wanted to not uh, disrupt that path, I wanted to house hack something using my uh, VA loan at the time. So sure. I knew and I knew the best bang for my buck was either getting a really large single family home and renting it up by the room, or then I got more and more into the concept of buying a two to four unit, same low down payment, whether using FHA or VA loan, it'll still be zero to three and a half percent, depending on which loan you use for, you know, all the way up to four units. And I started underwriting those deals and the numbers started looking so much better at minimum, <laughs> at minimum, not only was I potentially going to make some money, but at, at minimum, I was going to offset my largest expense, which was housing. There was no bigger expense than housing. So the first year we were in Alaska, we rented, we were living on one side of a duplex anyway. I said, why can't I just be the owner of this property? It's no different. I already have neighbors to the side of me. So right. I underwrote every single property. That was my buy box, two to four units and two to three zip codes right around me. And I, I underwrote every single property, every single one. Um, at a certain point, I was leading trainings within our our uh, investment group, just showing other people how to underwrite deals. And I think everyone wanted a cheat code. They wanted the 1% rule. They wanted some mm. rule of thumb, which is fine as a rule of thumb, but like to actually understand if a deal makes sense, you have to underwrite it and understand what is what is the income on this specific property, the expenses on this specific property. For example, numbers look phenomenal in Alaska for multi-units. And, and then you learn, oh, wait, the landlord's covering heat and heat can cost yeah. you. $2,000 plus dollars in one month during winter. So it's like, you have to account for these things that you don't know unless you're deep underwriting these deals and talking to people doing doing the work locally. Well, I mean, there's so much in that, right? First off, I I have freely admitted, it's actually in my first book that I used the 1% rule when I got started. Free admission. It is a horrible rule of thumb that has probably hurt more people than it's helped because it gives you permission to be lazy. It gives you permission not to dig. 
like in your example, if you would have just blindly followed the 1% rule, you would have probably been smoked when you got a $2,000 heating bill, mm -hmm. right? Because that, that's not in the numbers. Um, and also, obviously, it usually takes you to lower end properties. And there's just all of these things that the 1% rule really can injure you if you take it as it's is, you know, kind of truth. It's okay. It's a rule of thumb. It can allow you to, you know, sift through things, but the values in doing the work. And like you say, understanding a specific properties yield or cash on cash or, you know, whatever you want to call that. So uh, what year was that when you started and how long did you go? Like how many deals do you think you underwrote? I want people to know you didn't underwrite seven deals, right? How many are we talking about here? Yeah, so I've underwritten hundreds of properties in that hit that buy box every single multi. And remember, this is Fairbanks, Alaska. It's not, you know, we're not talking SoCal where there's thousands and thousands of new listings. It's well, maybe not anymore, but um, <laughs> but there was every single multifamily that would hit the market. I would do an actual underwrite on, and the big, you know, and this is huge credit to one rental at a time. If you just use general rules like one percent rule or anything like that, it doesn't take. Um, you're not accounting for the local factors, right? You're not accounting for this might be a different investing area, right? So Northern California to Southern California to Milwaukee to Alaska, like the idea for me underwriting so much that made me confident wasn't um, being able to use that as a barometer for what other people are investing in the Midwest, but for me to understand what is the average deal in my local market and what can I get that's better than the average deal in my local market. And it took hundreds of properties of underwriting them and then figuring out what price would make sense, finding the right agent that would help me submit those offers. I mean, we even negotiated a bank foreclosure and that was my first deal in 2020 was a bank foreclosure. It was March of 2020. Everyone was freaking out because of COVID. I was yeah. too, because that, that was, that's my field of work is environmental health. So uh -huh. we were all freaking out, but I said, you know what? Everyone's really scared. And the prop, this property itself has great bones, but like, it's got some ugly purple wall. No offense, I know you love purple, but like, you it's know, okay. purple okay. walls, purple walls in the house, just random. I don't have any walls. purple walls in my house. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> so just random purple walls, but like my con uh, my realtor and I were in the crawl space. We're looking at, you know, we're looking at, it was great going with an investor minded agent first because everyone else is going to look at the kitchen and how nice the new appliances are. And we're under there looking at the water heater and the, the furnace and we're at, and the looking at foundation and roof and all that kind of stuff. So that was very helpful to do that. So that first house act was a duplex that we were able to buy super discounted. This property was bought for over $220,000 two years prior. We were able to get it for 168,000 because it was owned by the bank and I still negotiated um, closing costs for them. So we got instant equity day one and I, I'd be happy to tell you how that one panned out. That was yeah. an amazing deal. Well, yeah, let's just poke it a little bit more. Cause again, I don't, I want people to realize I do the work consistency, hundreds of underwrites. Then when, when the right deal pops up, it kind of just, it's like a light bulb, right? It's like, this one's unique. This one's different. Let's, let's go deeper. So again, it was a bank for like, was, did it say in the listing bank foreclosure, was it like clear or was it just priced and you started digging in and, and trying to figure it out? Yeah, we started trying to make offers um, similar to kind of what I do now with creative financing in the sense of trying to understand what the underlying note is, because the person who bought it not too long ago is not able to sell it at a price lower than the mortgage. Otherwise, right. they're going to have to come out of pocket to sell it. Well, mm -hmm. we realized the bank basically priced it just a little bit over what the mortgage was. So when we started negotiating, they said, hey, we actually can't go any lower. That's, that's the uh, mortgage amount. We don't want to sell it at a loss. 
Although they did end up selling it at a loss because we negotiated it. But <laughs> still, still, that was how we identified it. We didn't know it was a bank foreclosure. It wasn't like on auction.com or anything okay. like that. It was just a, a property listed that was owned by the bank at that point, listed through an agent uh, just on okay. Zillow. And was it point, a local bank? Do you know? Was it an Alaska bank? I don't actually know. That's um, right. I don't know okay. uh, the details of it. I was just excited, nervous, scared. Um, yeah. But this one was so great because I was using my VA loan, 0% right. down, zero entry cost. Everything was basically rolled into the loan. And even wow. if you don't have the VA loan, you have the FHA loan at your disposal, you know, three and a half percent down, almost as good, not as good, but almost as good. Almost I've good. used yeah. FHA loans to house hack, you know, uh, the next <laughs> one after this one's an FHA loan. And um, for me, it wasn't that there weren't other deals that made sense, but it was that the offers that I was making on other deals weren't getting accepted. And that was yeah. fine. That was always my rationale that the majority- yeah, I, I write lots of offers that don't get accepted. It's yeah, okay. and, that, and that was my rationale. If, if my offers are getting accepted every time, I'm probably not at the right price point I should be for this to make <laughs> sense. So yeah, I so there agree. was plenty. And this one was because everyone was scared because of market timing, economic, everyone was just frozen for a minute. And mm -hmm. They were afraid of the cosmetic features on this property. And for me, I thought, okay, it's going to be low money down. Even if it's a disaster, it's little to no money down. I know that I can rent one side to basically cover the entire mortgage. Yes. And then the rest is just like additional utilities and all that. And this would be a great entry into a new investment that I've been learning about for years, but haven't quite yet awesome. um, pulled the trigger on. So this was the the first one for that. And it was yeah, it was an amazing lesson overall. Well, let's let's uh let's so that's how it start. Let's fast forward to today. A, do you still own it? If you don't, what'd you do with it? If you do own it, what what are kind of the numbers today? Yeah, definitely. So my wife and I um we renovated our unit and so we closed on it May 27th. In May 27th, we went to the unit that we were gonna rent out. We did a quick remodel, updated the appliances, just made it as good as we could. And we got it rented out June 1st. So four days later, I was a first time landlord. We closed, wow. did what we could. And then I was a landlord four days later. And it, we had a nice military officer move in. Great tenant. Love him. He made my life so easy as my first tenant. Um, paid rent on time. It was, it was great. But what we did is after two years of owning it and living in it, we, um, we were able to boost the uh, equity so much. The property value went up so much and the market did that too, between 2020 to 2022. Yeah. So we basically <laughs> bought it. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We bought it at a discount and then we sold it uh, at like 350 plus thousand, 352,000. So we doubled over doubled the value in two years. Some of it forced appreciation. Some of it just, we got fortunate with market timing sure. because of the capital gains tax exemption. We said, you know what, let's sell this. Let's free up my VA loan and let's do it again. You know, in our next market. What we did since then was we house hacked another four unit in Fairbanks, Alaska. We still own that one. We operate it as a midterm, short-term rental uh, property now. And um, all, four, got, all four units, short and midterm? All four. Okay. I used to try to mix tenant class mm. or like different tenants. It didn't work out too well. It's either go with one type of tenant or another, but it, there's conflicting, you know, when someone wants to be yeah. up later at night versus when they're sleeping for work the next day. So that's the you. route we went with that one. Um and then we started sending, so we started learning about seller financing um, right after that next house hack. I thought, wow. So amazing. just just so, I, just so I got the timeline mm -hmm. right, when did you buy the fourplex house hack? What year? Uh, two years. Uh, so 2021, actually. So okay. we actually bought it a year after. Yeah. So we okay. got in 2021 and we 
renovated it by the unit. You know, uh, we didn't force any tenants out, but like through attrition as they moved out when we'd renovate it and then um, rent it out as a short-term or mid-term rental. There's a huge demand for furnished housing because it's such a transient community up in Fairbanks because ah. of education, military, healthcare. You know, there's a lot of people that are coming in and out and they don't, you know, it's really expensive to move furnishings or buy furnishings sure. up there in general. So it filled a little bit of a void there, which is nice. Um, nice, so we, okay. And then at that point, you know, basically 12 months into our real estate investing journey, I thought this is amazing. This is a really, this is really cool. Uh, 12 plus months ago, I had zero real estate. Now we have six units. It's helping us offset uh, one of our mortgages. The other ones all, you know, it was over a thousand dollars a month in cash flow. This is, this is great. Um, how do we do this, but quicker? So that's when I started learning more about um, creative financing because the route I did not want to go was 25% down yeah. uh, investment loans, even with low interest rate back then. I just didn't want to do that. It went against what I was looking for. So I tried finding more creative ways and that was um, seller financing. So we uh, joined or I joined a, a mentorship, we could say a training on seller financing, not the overall concept, but like how to market, how to find, um, how to find pretty good candidates that would be that are eligible for seller financing. Now it's really just tired landlords with a lot of equity. Now, now that I'm this further along in the journey, I just realized we were targeting tired landlords that were local, but absentee owners mm. uh, that had a lot of equity and seeing if they were interested in selling their property as a tired landlord. So we sent mm. 250 letters out. Um, by the time everything was all said and done, we negotiated uh, um, 20 rental cabins that um, were purchased with a commercial loan for 75% of the loan. Mm -hmm. And then the seller, we did carry back financing on the whole down payment and our entry costs. So by the time I closed on the property, I made a couple grand and now mm -hmm. had a cash flowing asset that um, cost me no money to get into, but took a lot of knowledge and effort to structure a deal like that. And I yeah, did so let's so let's poke at that a little bit. Um, so you're you're you go duplex, fourplex, twenty units. Do I have mm -hmm. that right? Yes. So again, you get interested in seller financing. Um, you see it as a way to, uh, to accelerate your growth, get in with less down. That's kind of the, what I heard you say, you get some mentorship around, I'll call it mailers. It sounds like you, you did mm -hmm. some mailers. Basically you did some lead stacking, you know, all of that was, where was this? Was this still Alaska? This was still local. Um, okay. To be fair, at that time, I was also starting to wholesale out of state in Huntsville, Alabama. So I already oh, had some of the knowledge, but it was just a that was always cash deals under market value, you know, just typical wholesale deals. This was different to try to acquire um, properties through seller financing, similar overall concept, nonetheless. So, so you get a list. Did I hear you right? You did one mailer of 250 and you got, you got, did you, how many phone calls did you get? How many deep conversations? Obviously you got that deal, but was that like the only phone call or, or what happened with the other 249? Yeah. So, um, these weren't just like mailers that you buy from like ballpoint marketing or whatever. It was uh, letters that we printed out. We signed, you know, it had the address. Everything was done by us. Um, yeah. And we, we mailed them out in some nice, nice envelopes, you know, cute little stamps that would maybe someone's, you know, sending them a letter they're interested in. And of the 250, I probably had 50 calls, which is a ridiculous, oh, that's, that's like a ridiculous. 20%. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like a ridiculous return or, you know, um, and then I actually had approximately 20 to 25 um, appointments. I went to 20 to 25 properties 
Okay. The thing that held me back at that time was myself. Once I got this one, I was like, I can't do anymore. Like one is more than enough. I was, I was just yeah. hoping to get one out of this. And actually, ironically enough, it was the owner of a duplex that we reached out to. He did not want to actually sell that duplex, but he was selling his cabins. He just didn't have ah. the, the band. He truly was a tired landlord for those cabins. So that's why he was so, let's just say it was a million dollar purchase price. He had a $500,000 loan. He needed $250,000. So I knew that there was $250,000 of equity to play with that he might be open to seller financing if I could solve his problem, which was to never have to worry about this property, to have guaranteed income and to sell it at a price that he wanted to sell it at. So that's basically how I was able to structure that deal, which is just seller financing, but after closing basically, because there's the bank loan um, in place mm -hmm. first. Okay. All right. So uh, what year did you do that 20 unit? I did it a month and a half after the four unit. So as soon oh, wow. as we closed on the four unit, we sent mailers out within weeks and I was in contract weeks after that. It was pretty quick. Okay. But at that right. time I spent, once again, right, overnight success. At that time I spent uh, two years learning about the local market, understanding rents and expenses and all of that stuff. So when the right opportunity came up, I could execute on it very quickly. So yeah. it was one of those things, again, it seems like a quick turnaround, but it was all that work before that made it uh, much more seamless. Yeah, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Huntsville for a minute, right? So you're in Alaska. Mm -hmm. You identify Huntsville as a market that may have opportunity to wholesale deals. How did you pick Huntsville? Was it just random? Did you do some work? How did that choice come about? So um, I was in a mastermind for military real estate investors and a, a partner and I, we were battle buddies and we decided, you know, we both want to learn how to do do deals outside of our local market, which meant just identifying deals and being able to, um, yeah, basically identify deals outside of our local market. For him, he was in Vegas and that's where he was investing. For me, I was in Alaska, that's where I was investing. So we decided to look at a variety of metrics, the typical ones everyone looks at, right? Economic factors, crime. Um, obviously on bigger pockets, it was a trending market. Um, it was one that wholesalers did like, and we figured the least amount of risk to learn a market was to actually try to wholesale good deals there to see if we yeah. ever wanted to buy there, we might as well see if we can structure great deals that other people are willing to buy. And all we're spending costs on is marketing and time. We're not mm -hmm. like putting a huge down payment on a property or anything like that. So it was a really good entry for us to learn how to do that and just learn the process of wholesaling overall with, you know, setting up your CRM and uh, how to identify uh, leads and skip trace them and then put them into your CRM and then contact them and follow up and all these things that, you know, um, the big one was following up with your leads and understanding your pipeline takes a while to build and you have to continue touching them. You know, you have to keep contacting these um, potential sellers. So it was a great learning experience with little to no risk. I mean, it was some financial and time risk, but it was nothing compared to buying a property out of state for the first time, in my opinion. So did you have the same kind of success ratio? The first 250 out, you got, you know, 50 phone calls or what was that like starting up in, in Huntsville? So we were doing texts and mm -hmm. uh, calls. So much worse um, return on those. I'm much cheaper marketing than it is uh, letters, but um, sure. much worse return. I think we were sending out maybe 250 texts per day, maybe getting a less than 10% reply rate. And you, you know, a fraction of those were actually somewhat positive moving the mm -hmm. needle. A lot of tire kickers when you're reaching out to direct sure. to seller with high equity, because if they're not motivated to sell, they shouldn't, right? Like right. I always tell people, if you can, if you can keep this property or sell it conventionally, you should go that route. Or 
if you want to keep it as a rental, go that route. But if not, then mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I have a solution for you that, you know, maybe selling the property might be your best bet. But um, with these ones, I don't know if you've ever uh, reached out direct to seller, uh, but you get, it, it makes you tough. Uh, you, you just get blasted and cussed at and everything. And I get it. It is annoying. Um, but we are trying to um, learn and it's hard to say like less than 1%. Um, and we, in the six months we did that, which now in hindsight, I realize it takes six months just to fill your pipeline. But then in the six months we did that, we generated 60K and three deals. So that was great. We learned we can find deals and we were super thoughtful because both my business partner and I were, um, were buy and hold investors. So when we were structuring these deals, we weren't just focusing on the equity piece, but we mm. were basically analyzing it as, all right, you're gonna get it this discount, this is your cash. When you cash out refinance in the future, because we're assuming you're going to burr it, you're also going to make this cash on cash return. So we were giving them the perfect deal. And we didn't right. realize how perfectly we were serving it up to people. Of course, they wanted to buy these deals. In hindsight, I wish I bought them all. <laughs> infinite returns on those. But, you know, um, yeah. it was a great learning experience overall, especially just going through the process of wholesaling and learning just how tough that is. Um, yeah. This is this is just examples of, of people get interested in things and then they stop when it gets hard. You guys didn't stop, right? I can only imagine the first, you know, hundred times you got cussed out by someone before you build up that callus and was like, oh, on to the next. Um, you know, putting money out for six months, you know, before you see returns and, and things of that nature. So, okay, so you so you prove you can do it in Huntsville. You get three deals. Uh, where do you guys go from there? If, if what's next? So I got out of the army last year. Um, at okay. that point, we were pretty. We wanted to stabilize our real estate, continue the wholesaling a little bit as we were doing. That's kind of what fizzled it out for the Huntsville market. And um, it just got really, really expensive. Huntsville was already pretty expensive as a good investment market, but it just continued to get more and more expensive yeah. and deals started to make way less sense and it cost way more to market to them. So okay. at that point, my business partner and I pivoted um, that business. We said, hey, this was great. We both learned a lot. You know, we basically paid our way for tuition. We got paid, paid to learn, which is awesome. Um, and then we moved back down to San Diego where of course I house act another multifamily. Uh, and thankfully I'll, I'll, I won't lie. My biggest cheat code is my wife. She is open to the concept of us house hacking multifamily properties. So we've yes. been together since high school. So she's been through this whole roller coaster, let alone all three house hacks. And she helps me with renovating, furnishing, whatever it need, whatever we need to do on them. But the most important thing is that she is on board uh, open and willing yes to do this because we understand the long-term short-term sacrifices for the long-term benefits basically what what's her first name sierra sierra nice work that's that's awesome <laughs> so um so what are, so what are you house hacking in san diego is it a duplex quad what is it it was such a so it's a three unit but it was such a mindset shift coming here from being in a um such a high cash on cash return market up in alaska and understanding that pretty easily I can offset my mortgage to so coming here where you'd be lucky with if you could offset a portion of your mortgage down right. here in SoCal. But like you teach, right? It's not about comparing what's going on in Alaska to here. It's about what is average here and how do you get better yep. than that? So I did the same thing. I pulled a spreadsheet. I created a spreadsheet of every single multifamily that was on market, um, underwriting every single deal as to the best of my ability. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with $2,000 a month, you know, heating bills here. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward, but um, I underwrote every single property. We were in contract for one um, few days before closing. Um, the lender says, hey, actually, I'm glad you didn't pull your loan uh, appraise, uh, your loan contingency. 
I don't know why, but we can't, you know, he didn't have a great reason for why he couldn't perform on the note anymore. I think his interest rates when we locked in were four and a half. And by the time everything was said and done and we were in the six pluses easily at that yeah. point, he's, I yeah. don't know. They just pulled the plug on that one. So we lost oh. out on that deal, Ouch. but we ended up with a, the three unit here in San Diego as well, that um, really relatively high interest rate. Now, I guess it's somewhat low, but it's six, seven, five. It's the highest interest rate loan, even between all my seller finance and creative deals, it's the highest one we've ever had, but the numbers made sense. And we saw that we're buying a property that is cash flow neutral, which is great in SoCal. So cash flow neutral while we live in it, just long-term rents, we've been able to uh, midterm rent one of them to then get us cash flow positive. We just, you know, improve the property, furnish it, and then rent it out to usually military healthcare professionals that are here for a year, two years max, but usually a couple months at a time. And they just don't want to carry their furnishings all over the place. So, yeah, very, very cool. So you're out of the military now you're in San Diego. Are you a full-time investor or did you do something with your engineering degree? What, what's going on with all that? Yeah. So I actually am, uh, I'm still a W2 employee. I really love the line of work that I do. I'm, uh, I work for the County of San Diego in environmental health. I lead uh, mm -hmm. one of their environmental health divisions, something that just gives me a huge positive. I love real estate. I love the benefits of it, but it's not like it gives me a lot of personal fulfillment, but the work that I sure. do in environmental health tethered back to my degree and all that makes me feel That's awesome. really good for the impact that we do. And I'm able to balance real estate as well, which is nice. Very, very cool. So where does the story go from here? You got 26 units in, in Alaska. You, you're, you got a triplex in San Diego. You've been out to Huntsville. What else are you doing? So great question. So I knew at that point when I was, I knew at that point I could find deals cash. I could um, find seller finance deals or purchase deals cash conventionally or seller finance. But I knew there was like a missing link. I knew there had to be more ways for me able to buy deals that were outside of those three. So then I joined Pace Morby's sub two mentorship um, last year, just about one year ago. And that really, for me, it helped fill the void. Um, sub two and just other creative financing, even just lease options and other creative strategies for ac acquiring properties. And then uh, creative disposition strategies. For example, we've uh, bought a property that's now being operated as a sober living home. We've had properties that are pad split or rent by the room, things like that, that I wouldn't have necessarily thought about, or it would have taken, you know, the learning curve or would have just taken some time to learn it. It was really able to accelerate. So we started that one year ago. Since then, we've added $6 million more of real estate, all creatively financed, seller finance, but primarily um, subject to financing. So taking over people's existing mortgages who mm -hmm. for one reason or another have to move on. Um, typically it's, they don't have a lot of equity. And if they were to sell the property, they would do it at a loss or they want a certain price or they don't want to remove the furnishings or some type of motivation that this makes a creative deal, a better option for them than just a conventional transaction. And the market yeah, so, pivot was a big part of that. So 6 million is an impressive number. Is that, is that all in San Diego or what, what are we talking about? Half of it is in San Diego. The other half is in South Carolina and Georgia. So, and I'll, okay. I'll put the caveat, right? Um, at this phase of my investing journey, I'm not solely focused on cash flow anymore. There's all sure. the other benefits, especially as a W-2 employee. My wife's a real estate professional. I love the tax breaks, especially living in California, long-term wealth generation and appreciation, monthly um, monthly interest and principal pay down on the, on the loan, all of that. Those are amazing benefits as well that most people don't account for when we're mm -hmm. looking at properties or underwriting strictly for cash flow and cash and cash return. But after holding my properties and not paying taxes up 
last couple of years, I realized, wow, there's all these benefits I don't account for. So now I kind mm -hmm. of uh, balance both between buying cash flowing properties creatively in those other markets with my business partner who lives on the um, other side of the country. So that really helps, you know, um, is this still have... the same individual from Vegas or is it another individual? No, this is my business partner. Um, he's Adam Catledge. Um, we created coast to coast vets since we're both military oh. veterans and he, uh, it seems like oh, I always cool. end up partnering with, uh, veterans <laughs> or military. Um, he's a retired Marine and he lives in South Carolina. Um, and we okay. met here in San Diego and he, him and his partner moved over there and we continue to buy properties together. Um, we basically helped set up the properties um, that are local to us. So he's handling our Georgia and South Carolina um, properties and I'm focused on our San Diego deals right now. Very cool. So uh, you mentioned Pad Split. I had the CEO of Pad Split on um, the other day. I forget his name. At Anyways, I forget his name. I forget too. I know who I, he is, but I forget his name too. <laughs> I forget his name. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an unusual first name. But anyways, um, tell me about your experience with Pad Split. Because again, I, what I understand from Pad Split, I've only had one conversation. You're basically renting by the room. They're basically like Airbnb, so they're kind of the front end. But you still you still have the management aspect of that. Is is my understanding? Yeah. So his name is Atticus LeBlanc. I just uh, Atticus. It. Yes, <laughs> definitely Thank unique. You. Um, so I actually, we actually, the one that we were going to convert to a pad split, we just kept it as a short-term rental just okay. for the sake of, um, maximizing on accelerated appreciation, bonus appreciation, and the short-term rental tax loophole for my business partner. For me, it doesn't matter because I, my wife's a real estate professional, but he gets the right. benefits. Let, let's poke at that a little bit. Okay. Just sorry. <laughs> I, I understand what you said, but I think a lot of people miss it. So let's first talk about your tax treatment. You've said mm -hmm. it a couple of times now. Your wife is in the eyes of the IRS, a real estate professional, mm -hmm. which as I understand it means she spends most of her time on real estate. Mm -hmm. I forget if it's a thousand hours or some, some number. 760, I think. Okay. 760, whatever the number is. She has to track her time, all of that. Mm -hmm. But because she is that, you're allowed to take real estate losses, i.e. depreciation, which is a is a fake loss against mm -hmm. your income because yes. you're married, right? That's, so can, that's your. We can use yeah. the fake losses through depreciation. And it's not, I want to say you're not like avoiding taxes forever. You're just kicking the can down the road, but right. there's, there's several ways to kick the can down the road forever. A until long you pass time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of strategies. Um, the IRS has set out for real estate investors to really benefit from t the tax benefits from it. Um, but what that means is, because she's a real estate professional and that means we're collectively as a married couple, real estate professional, right. or we get the benefits of it. We can take all of the losses um, on our real estate property. So if we do a lot of uh, improvements to the property, so all that CapEx, those are losses mm -hmm. and yep. those are depreciated just like the property itself. In the eyes of the IRS, a property basically has a lifespan of 27 and a half years. It, it degrades in quality and value over 27 and a half years. So they let you depreciate or take a paper loss on those to help you offset your taxes. Um, I mean, it's probably better reasons for it. Probably to use that money yeah. to then improve your property. Um, mm -hmm. But you can do a few strategies to accelerate or condense that timeline, just accelerating the depreciation to five to seven years. Um, you mm -hmm. have to get a cost segregation study, all this stuff done to be able to do that. But basically yep. the I've done big it. benefit is we take those losses and we can offset all types of income, not just real estate in uh, income anymore. We can offset um, I have Active. a creative finance calculator out there that, you know, 
there's no real losses for that. So use it to offset that. We have a business that we offset taxes on, all my W-2 income. So we're able to use real estate to offset all types of income for us, which yeah. is so, a real benefit. So that's your situation. I recommend a lot of married couples, if they can, if the situation allows, it's a great thing to do. Then you talked about the quote unquote short-term loophole mm -hmm. uh, rental for your business part, sir. So let's paint that vision. And right? actually, I will say real fast mm -hmm. about the real we sure. learned last year while my wife was working that we would make significantly more money. We'd keep significantly more money if she retired from that and just focused solely on real estate. Of course. Because of the short-term rental, um, because of the real estate professional uh, tax benefits. Oh, it's, so it's, we did the math it's it hugely insane. valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's insane. It's, it can be insane. Yes. And then uh, the short-term rental tax loophole. So if you can't, so to qualify to be a real estate professional, you basically, it's really hard to do it if you have a full-time W-2 because you have to spend yeah. more time on your real estate, on real estate than you do on um, any anything else. And it's really hard to do that when you're working 40 hours a week. It, yeah, it's really it's... hard to prove that to the IRS and you have to do 760 plus hours. Um, that's really the main uh, yeah. barometer. Yeah, don't, don't mess with the IRS. I, I, you know, I've been audited, both quick audit and a full deep dive. It's not a lot of fun. Um, that's 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 kind of like a guardrail that, I don't like people touching, right? If you have a 40 hour a week job and that's where you're making your money, you know, if you're married, yeah. go get that spouse and, and have them do it. But yeah, be, be careful. The short-term loophole is really interesting because I don't think a lot of people understand this. Yeah. So the short-term rental tax loophole basically gives you the benefits of being a real estate professional for a specific property with a lower barrier to entry. The ways that you can do it is you are the primary. So if you have a short-term rental uh, property that you are, actively managing, not using a property management company, because mm -hmm. one of the barometers is you have to, uh, you have to be working on your property more than anyone else. And, or if there's multiple people working on it, you have to do at least 500 hours. So instead of 760, it's 500. So it's a little lower of a threshold, but still a lot of hours for yeah. one property at the end of the year. That's 10 hours a week, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to basically, um, that benefit there is that you basically get all the same benefits. You can take the losses in your um, short-term rental property, including all the depreciation losses, and use that to offset your active income in any other capacity. So it's- Yeah, uh, the, the, here's, the, here's the nut uh, or the net of the fact. Long-term rentals are seen as passive investments. Short-term rentals are seen as a hospitality business. That's the wrinkle. Short-term rentals are a hospitality business. And oh, by the way, the tax treatment on depreciation is different, right? Single family homes are 27 and a half years because a short-term rental is seen as a business. I think it's 30 some years or whatever the other number is. So there are some tweaks, but yeah, there's a lot of people that are getting or did get into short-term rental because they call it a business and you could take losses Again, depreciation, cost sag, all of these things, bonus depreciation against active income uh, because it's not – short-term rentals are not passive. They're active. No, they're not. And if I wasn't a real estate professional and it was the only way to get the tax benefits, I probably wouldn't do it. Thankfully, my business partner loves managing short-term rentals because if it was up to me, we wouldn't <laughs> have a single one because I couldn't talk to – yeah. Customers and guests. Yeah. It's just not my cup of tea. I'd rather underwrite deals. I'm behind the scenes. Let me look at the computer. Yeah. Let me raise capital. I don't want to talk to guests or anything. I'll help screen tenants, but like, you know, I don't, I, I just not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, 
a customer service guy will say. Yeah. So uh, six, you talked about adding 6 million bucks. Uh, you know, a lot of times I have this conversation. There's like one, one deal that's like your favorite one to talk about. What, what deal inside that is like one you just like to tell us about? What, what's that? So the one we just closed on list last Monday is the most incredible deal we've ever bought. Um, and it's a win-win like it. technically. I mean, it's a win-win all around. So this is a property that was listed on market. When I saw the property, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Almost $2 million. Actually, it was over $2 million is what it was originally listed for. Okay. This property, um, this property, it had little to no equity. It was bought with a VA loan just one year ago. And the- hmm. What and city, the, sorry? In San Diego. Okay. So this is a, a great property down here in San Diego. Um, he bought it just around a year ago. And due to some unfortunate financial circumstances, he was no longer able to- maintain this mortgage and he tried renting it as a short-term rental unfortunately he put it he had a mom and pop style property management company in place they just couldn't perform what they needed to to offset a very large monthly yeah. mortgage payment so he basically when he listed it he took it off renting so he can uh, sell it and mm -hmm. i called the agent day one and i said hey this may not be the time this may not be the time for this type of offer but if you're not able to sell this property cash or conventionally at the price that you need to offset, you know, the mortgage. So your, so your, um, your client doesn't have to, you know, pay money to sell this property at closing. I have a creative option that might work for you. And I waited another two weeks to touch base. It's still pretty slow because interest rates from when he bought it, which was under 5% up to at this point was seven plus percent. You know, it didn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people. And yeah. he couldn't he couldn't go too far down on price because yeah. it come out of his pocket directly. So I said, all right, no, not a good time. No worries. I contacted him two weeks again, two weeks after that. Um, no, still not motivated or like still not open to it. We're still trying to see. We, we might have some potential um, mm -hmm. buyers. And then I waited three days after the start of the new month after he made another mortgage payment. <laughs> I knew that was, that was going to be a, you know, it's a vacant property expensive yeah. mortgage payment. And I said, I reached out and I said, Hey, are you guys still open to maybe this option? And that's when we were able to have a very serious conversation about purchasing their property subject to the existing mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, the seller at this point was not going to be able to make the next month's mortgage payment and a traditional close would take 21 to 30 days. So it was cutting it close. If he had a buyer back out, it would put him in a very bad situation. So he was, basically a pre pre foreclosure, right? Yeah, he was on his way to missing payments and it starts stacking up with those types of expensive mortgages. So we were able to buy this property subject to the existing loan. We did, the seller did not get any cash at closing, but we covered all closing costs. We negotiated the agent commission and made sure the agent got paid on a transaction. He wouldn't be able to do conventionally. And basically that's what we bought it for was closing costs and agent commission. We were able to take over a four and a half percent VA loan, um, that four and a half percent VA loan, little to no money down. And, um, we raised capital, uh, private money to get the cover the entry costs and some of our plan for it. So this property is amazing. And we basically took this beautiful single family home, 6,200 square feet and just Jeez. outside San Diego. Yeah. Just outside the San Diego short-term rental ordinance and basically convert it into three units as well as a full house. And we are renting it as a short-term rental, but we put the right operator in place, someone who manages boutique hotels and high-end short-term rentals. We were able to negotiate the property management fees and just basically turn this property around, add another 30, a little over 30K into improving furnishings, adding a hot tub, 
adding amenities that help this property stand out, adding more beds and making and just making it more versatile with the three units and just a lot mm -hmm. of fun features to it. So this is so, so that's that's awesome. So you took a 6,200 square feet house, you converted it to three separate short term rentals. Is that what I'm hearing? Three separate, or they can rent the full house the way it's set up. Okay. It's got electronic door locks uh, that kind of separate in this laundry area where everything kind of congregates. Yeah. So they that can rent the whole house, which has been amazing. It's amazing to see how many people are renting the full house for business retreats or family mm. uh, celebrations or whatever, as well as the individual units. So that if the full house isn't rented the last like two months prior to that, they will be able to rent it out. Uh, like within two months, they'll be able to rent it out by the unit. Um, it's not as much, right. but it still gives it, you know, we're not just sitting on a vacant property then, which is helpful. Oh, very, very cool. So again, it's outside the city ordinance, which is cool. Very helpful because I've heard San Diego has some pretty aggressive rules that they've just bought. Um, 30 year and, debt, I'm guessing 30 year, yeah, 30 year debt. So, and I will, the one thing is the main motivation for the seller. He didn't want to lose this property, right? He didn't want to lose it to foreclosure, ruin his credit. Mm -hmm. No one wants that, but he also didn't want to lose his, because it's a VA loan. If he lost the property in foreclosure, he'd lose the VA loan for life. So we yeah. basically established a 12 year balloon on the VA loan on the loan itself. And in 12 years, he will get his full entitlement back because we'll either refinance the property, sell the property, or we'll do something to get him out of the loan and he'll be okay. able to uh, get his VA loan back. So although he has to wait 12 years for it, it's better than losing it for life. <laughs> better than you losing it. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't have to pay money at closing. So people ask, why would he do this? Right? Well, there's a lot of negative things that will happen if you lose a property to foreclosure. So we're trying to avoid that. And it just becomes a costly endeavor. So we basically caught it before that occurred and he will get his VA loan back. He keeps his credit intact. If anything, it's going to improve as we continue to make payments on his behalf on the loan. So there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of benefits to sellers when, and like, like I always sell agents and sellers, like if you can sell it cash or conventional, go that route. Go for there's, it. Yep. there's an inherent risk involved with credit financing for sure. Like there's definitely risk involved. But these are the benefits. You decide, is it is it what you're looking for? You know, what, what route would you rather go? Because obviously 40 plus days on market, mm -hmm. you know now this property is not selling conventionally and you cannot lower the price any further because your seller can't come up with the cash for it. So you, yeah. know, you guys decide you're, you're what's best stuck. for you. Yeah. Yeah, I no longer yeah. try to sell or pitch or I'm just laying out the options and saying, you tell me yeah. what works for you, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you're just the best option. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I like I, tell them I buy cash, right? But it's going to be at 60% of what the value you want. So I don't know if that's going to work for you guys either. So, yeah. you know, we try every option. It just creative tends to be the best option for all parties. Yeah. And it, and again, in this deal, you did raise some private capital as a, as a second, or maybe you put that lien on a different property. I don't know. But a silent second position. We have, uh, they were very cool with how we did it because by the time we closed, so we just created something in this in sub two called the M&M method named after me. Basically what we do is, have you familiar with innovation? Yeah, innovation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just for the audience in general, innovation is you basically find a property that maybe needs some rehab or cleaning or something to get it to its full market value, but it's not there yet. And the seller doesn't have the money or the experience to do so. So basically right. partner with the seller, say, hey, I'll give you this specific price for your property. And then I'm going to clean it up, renovate it and sell it. And I make the profit, you know, the additional profit, or we do like a profit share of that, something like that. So mm -hmm. we implement. So what you do during that time prior to closing is you improve the property. So what we did with this one was I locked it up in a similar style, asked the seller if he's all right with me renovating, furnishing, and renting out the property prior to closing. 
And mm-hmm. he was fine with it. He said, as long as you cover all the expenses and you already have insurance in place, I'm fine with it. Go for it. So mm-hmm. we did um, exactly that. We renovated the property, furnished it, uh, improved the furnishings and started generating rental income. Uh, we had over 40,000 in bookings and 30,000 in income by the time we closed that um, we were able to significantly reduce our private money. We knew exactly the dollar amount we needed to raise because we were just paying ourselves back for what we put into the property. And um, we're able to prove to our private money lenders a lot of proof of concept. Look, here's the property. We've already done all the work. Here's all the returns already. Like, this is how you're secured in this property as well. Like, you see the income. You see what's been working well for us. So this was a very easy capital raise. And basically, the idea of this M&M method is to try to do as much of the work as you can prior to closing if your seller is open to it because it helps with all those benefits, as I mentioned. And it... um, it really minimizes any carrying costs because mm-hmm. you're not buying the property, then starting to renovate and all that. You're doing a lot of this prior to closing. So it was a really uh, cool way of doing it. So basically a novation where you're the end buyer. Uh, nice. essentially what it is. Very, very cool. Well, do me a favor. Is there some place people can follow you or reach out or, you know, how, how did the people stay kind of engaged with all the great things you're doing? Yeah. So soon my website will be up, but um, Instagram is always the best way. So um my name is just Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and the first four letters of my last name. So M-N-A-T. That's Mike November Alpha Tango. <laughs> there you go. Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Amazing. It's amazing to see what you've done. What I really take from this is obviously a supportive spouse. Let's get that out of the way right up front. That is your secret weapon. Uh, also willing to do the work at every stage, invest, move forward. Um, you're not afraid to continually invest in yourself. You're always adding new tools to your tool belt. And um, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's impressive to see what you've done and let's see what happens over the next couple of years. It's going to be fun to watch. Definitely. Thank you. And one thing I just want to highlight, I talked through like 10 different phases of my investing journey, right? Like the idea there is just like any type of education. Don't go for college level physics and you haven't even done elementary school math yet, right? Understand how to identify your buy box, underwrite deals, get really knowledgeable in that, make conventional offers that make sense for you, and then build on those skill sets. I didn't go to subject to financing day one. I started out with house hacking, wholesaling cash, seller finance. Like there's a progression of this. Think of this as a lifelong investing journey that you're just continually learning on. Well said, Michael. We will end on that, brother. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye.